Welcome to the History Quill podcast, all about writing and publishing historical fiction, brought to you by the History Quill, the home of historical fiction writers. Welcome to the History Quill podcast, brought to you by the History Quill. My name is Theodore Brunn, and I'm here with my co-host, Julia Kelly. Julia, how are you this month? I am doing well. I'm feeling good. I'm at the start of a new book. I've reworked my writing schedule a little bit, and I'm having a lot of fun in the world of historical mystery. So I'm enjoying myself very much. How about you? Yeah, I'm having quite a lot of fun. I've definitely had some challenges in terms of a relationship with my publisher, at least trying to assess exactly where I am with my current sort of series that I'm working on and where that's going to go. Obviously, I would love it to just go stratospheric, but I think there are signs that it may not be doing that. So it doesn't, in a, in a sense, it doesn't actually change that much. My immediate game plan, which was to crack on with also a historical mystery of a different period that I was going to be writing anyway. So I'm, I'm, my goal is to try and get down the first two or three chapters of that in the next month or so, and then share that with my agent. And if he says, what are you thinking of? <laughs> I'll probably leave it at that point. But if he's encouraging, then 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 that's the direction I'm going to go. So it's sort of, I'm on the cusp of something, I feel. Uh, and meanwhile, actually, I'm doing a ghostwriting project. So, and that's going pretty well. I've nearly finished that. So it's nice to have a sort of substantial, basically another book we'll have written in the next week or two. So but who, are we, who have we got today? Who's our guest today? She's a friend of yours, I believe. Yes, I'm very excited. We have Piper Hughley, who is a historical fiction and historical romance author on the show. I've known Piper for a little while, and I think it's going to be a great discussion. So without further ado, shall we jump into our chat with Piper? Let's go for it. We are really excited to be joined by Piper Hughley, who is a, an author who I've known for a while now, and we actually are also represented by the same agent, so we have a little bit of a connection there too. You um, have a, a really expansive career, so I'm not even going to attempt to sum it up. I'm going to leave that to you, Piper. Can you give us a little bit of an introduction as to who you are and what you write? I never thought of it as expansive. I mean, I guess it is expansive. you have to you you have to say something <laughs> about it. I guess okay. I guess I yeah. Um, let's see. I have two historical romance series that are based on the history in the United States of African Americans there during the 20th century, and then I have one contemporary romance that was published by Hallmark Publishing, and then I have my historical fiction novel that's based on the life of Anne Lowe who was the fashion designer of Jacqueline Bouvier's wedding gown when she married Jack Kennedy. I, yes, I've actually started, I've been listening to it. I haven't got all the way through it, but it's, it's brilliantly written, I have to say, and a wonderful voice that immediately sucked me right into the story. And actually, it was kind of a lesson to me because I have to say, you know, fashion and, and crafting beautiful wedding dresses would not be like the first book off the shelf for me. So it was fantastic to actually just, you know, be sort of the mirror held up to me a little bit and go, you know, why don't you just expand your your horizons in terms of the kind of stories that I would read as a reader, let alone as a, as a writer. And um, and I, and then obviously I was reading up about you as well and and gathering this former series where at least correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding it was it was sort of loosely based around the idea of the great migration of African Americans sort of moving from the South. It was like a historical phenomena, as it were, of the 20th century. And I thought that was brilliant. And I, I it made me wonder 
that seem like two quite different approaches between the historical romance of this general theme and then the very specific nature of like picking a life, a real life in order to to fictionalize and turn her story into a novel. You know, how do you kind of get drawn into those different directions? Why was it that you you've kind of gone one way and then another in this those two different examples? Ah, but it was all a method to my madness. It's all part of the same plan. <laughs> so to me, they're quite the same. That's thing. what we like hearing. Yeah, historical romance was a way for me to put my oar into the historical waters, so to speak, and to practice certain aspects of writing what Amazon forces us. And since they run a lot of things, it's the forces us to call biographical historical fiction (laughs) in that there are characters in particularly one of my series that deals with the establishment of historically black colleges and universities here in the United States, where I would bring in real life people into the stories and fictionalize them. So it gave me uh, chances to play with that particular approach and method of history for one thing. And another thing that that did was, again, to give me even more familiarity, particularly with the series that you mentioned, Migrations of the Heart, with the history that would cover Anne Lowe's life. And Anne Lowe herself is actually part of the Great Migration. So looking at it from a general sense and then looking at it and how it impacted her and her specific life was all intentional backdrop for what I call phase two, which is this lifting up, heralding, and writing about unknown Black women's lives who have managed to do certain kind of great things that people don't know about. I love the fact that there is a there's a real as you say method to the madness and it, you know was this was this a strategy from the get go you know you knew that you wanted to eventually write books that solely focused on on these women's lives yes and actually Anne Lowe's aspect was a little bit I've been working on someone else for some time since 2017 so there are several as we call it people that I've been working with or on that hopefully we'll see light of day. I don't know, maybe not, but <laughs> I think they're interesting. I hope they do. <laughs> but what what draws you to them in, in particular? Is it because you feel they've really dropped off the radar and that they, obviously there's a sort of personal interest and connection with that particular individual, but do you feel like they've kind of disappeared, as it were, out of the public consciousness? Because I know that your next book is about, uh, correct, again, correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's the daughters of two different presidents. Is that correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. So presumably they're slightly better known as as historical or figures of history. So what is it that kind of draws you to an actual individual within that that scape? Well, you bring up a good point, Theodore, the fact that not everyone's life deserves this kind of treatment. So there's that. But my thorough line, as it were, for a number of these women has to do with celebrating them as artists. So while Portia Washington and her father, Booker T. Washington, here we we sort of have a joke of him when he was president of Tuskegee, what was known as Tuskegee Institute and now Tuskegee University. We've had a joke calling him the president of Black America, but he never really was a president. But it is like, you know, that's how he was seen in his time. That Portia Washington as a musician and her training as a musician very much was cultivating artistic sensibility in her life until 
certain events happened with her life. So it's very much me looking at these women as artists. And at least with the case of, in terms of American Daughters, well, she may not have been somebody who practiced a visual art or anything, a visual art form like that, the way in which she was able to navigate Washington, D.C., certainly points to one of those underlying aspects of women's lives that I like to think about that if a woman doesn't have a vocation, a purpose in life, that energy can be directed in some ways that might not always be positive in terms of that. So putting their lives together, particularly because of what they had in common, which was a lot, even if they were women of different racial backgrounds, that's really been the thoroughfare, which continues from my scholarly training, which also focused on women writers thinking of themselves as artists as well. I love the idea of putting these people together. And and again, these things that may not seem immediately obvious to a reader, but you know, one of your jobs as a novelist is to present these people and their stories in such a way that of course is, you know, is entertaining and is interesting because that's one of the joys of reading, but also hopefully brings people along and teaches them something about these women as well and hopefully themselves too. I really want to talk about your scholarly work and how it relates to you being an author in a moment. And maybe we could pick that up. But before I forget, I want to make sure I ask, you know, how do you approach researching the lives of people who really existed? I know when I do my research, I'm more sort of researching the time period and I might be drawing inspiration for some, from some people, but I don't have necessarily somebody's life that can, I imagine, both be a, a great thing. It provides some structure for a narrative, but also can be challenging in the same way. So how do you approach that research aspect of your writing? Yes, thank you for pointing that out, because there is that as an advantage that there is some potential structure. In my case, in terms of of writing about some of these women, their early lives in particular don't exist as a matter of public record uh, for me to go and retrieve. And those are factors that are due to racism, to be honest. So then it does require me to do certain things like to draw upon potentially maybe other people's lives who might have lived at a similar time period. One of the serendipitous happenstances with Ann Lowe, for instance, was that she was born around the same time in two counties over in Alabama from where my uh, paternal great-grandmother was born. So I already knew what her early years looked like from that particular standpoint, from what I had been hearing about while I was growing up. And then another happy coincidence was uh, she was also born very close to where uh, famous Zora Neale Hurston was born, who was also somebody that I had studied in my dissertation. So again, because of that background, I also knew what her early years looked like. So when you don't have access to typical methods of primary and secondary research and that I can draw upon that kind of thing in terms of particularly that that her early years as tricky as they were to think about um, how to write about that time period. But Anne Lowe as a, a figure, particularly during her Florida years, was very well documented, much more documented than a Black woman of her time period would have been documented given the, and this probably sounds familiar, 
the whole aspect about a, a woman not being in the public record or known about unless it was her birth, her marriage, and her death, her design talents propelled her into newspapers and other kinds of places where I could draw upon those resources and talk about the ways in which people saw her. A scholar, a textile scholar who had been working on her biography prior to her passing had written a thesis. And so her thesis also provided a way for me to look at her life and certain life events. She had done the work of interviewing certain people in Anlo's life. That also helped. But what also helped, primarily because I had written this during the pandemic, was that there were many photographs of Anlo's dresses, not just, you know, how we might like to look at dresses from the front, but the inside of the dresses that also gave me some insight to how she would approach creation of uh, many of her designs as well that I found helpful, particularly because I couldn't go anywhere. So that all um, worked to help me <laughs> help me think about writing the book from her standpoint and her thinking about her art. Is that something that is dressmaking something that you're also very much interested yourself? Is that to, to, to write a whole novel on that, I would think you would have to be, wouldn't you? <laughs> you would yeah. think you would, or would else have you to learned be. a lot. But <laughs> there is a baby quilt in the corner of my closet, pink and blue triangles <laughs> that I tried to put together and will never happen. <laughs> to be put together. <laughs> no, another fortunate thing was that my mother was a seamstress. So I also was able to understand what it was to put something together from having, I don't like to say be forced to witness it, but that there was a purpose in uh, being her little, yes. <laughs> being her little companion while she was having sewing yes. sessions, right? Well, it's that sense of like, <laughs> nothing is to... wasted. Even you watch it, watching exactly her, it. watching her <laughs> stitch, you're like, I can use that in a novel. Right. Being forced <laughs> to be in there with her while she was putting stuff together, <laughs> watching Star Trek in the Wild Wild West, you know, while she's making a dress for somebody or making uniforms for our family choir, whatever it was. It That's what it was. Nothing is wasted. So, yeah. <laughs> there you go. I like that. I like that. It's proof that research comes out of everywhere. <laughs> It does. It really does. And you really have to to draw upon it, like I said, for spaces of silence in terms of that that are left for the novelist mm. to come in and fill um, to create that life, to recreate that life. Mm. So, mm -hmm. Piper, one of the things that, that strikes me with what you've talked about around researching, especially these times where you don't necessarily have the public record for somebody's life and you're having to draw on other aspects how do you balance honoring somebody's life and honoring what might have been their experience with the fictionalization? Because I know I, I was very lucky to read your book on Anne Lowe very early. And there's some things that are really harrowing and strike me as being very authentic feeling. And, and that's where I, I'm quite frankly, very impressed that some of that might have come from fictionalization because it really is her early life in particular is is really challenging to read. But then finding out, of course, what happens to her later, it's incredibly rewarding. You've built all of that up for her as a character. So how do you balance those things? Yes, that is a, a particular challenge that I, that I made a particular choice uh, in which to talk about because, of course, 
in terms of telling a story about someone's life, you do your certain entree points where I could have gone and, and I, I could have just chosen to skip over that, you know, so that it might be less harrowing or triggering as some people refer to it. But it was a part of her life that she later sought to cover over, especially when she was with her society women. And it became known to her that that kind of, of having had what we're talking about is her child marriage at a very young age, 12, would be seen as very distasteful and not uh, reflective of the kind of um, personality that she wanted to bring across to her clients. But the, to say that it was a part of her life and really the wonderful thing that came out of it, well, of course, was her son, Arthur, who she had when she was 15. So that's why I, I sort of made that, that particular decision as part of the whole aspect to show how far she had come from such a harrowing beginning. So, yeah, in terms of the novelization process, um, like I said, we, we make these choices about what to depict, what not to depict, the good and the bad, you know. And even after later meeting her family, I came to find out that that was something that had happened as well as, you know, certain other things that about her life that they might have preferred that I, I treat uh, more extensively, like the number of shops that she ended up having. But I couldn't do that for every shop that she had. That that would have bored the reader and pulled them out of the story. <laughs> it, I, it's enough to say that she had incredible fiscal difficulty, right, pulling off you know, the maintaining a shop, particularly in, you know, the best area of New York City in, uh, for the place for her particular New York clients to come to, that would have ended up being repetitive or whatever. So some readers got it the first time around, particularly with, I don't want to like spoil it for Theodore, particularly with what happens to her in terms of uh, her financial difficulty. So yeah, those things are just choices that we have to make as novelists and pointed out to her great-granddaughter who currently lives in New Jersey that it is a novel and that uh, hopefully my hope in terms of writing it as a novel will put her as a person, as a historical figure who's worthy of further study out there so that someone can come along and do the scholarly biography of her as that historical figure, as that artist that, that she deserves. That was part of my intention. That's quite interesting, though. I mean, it must be quite unusual to actually have a direct relationship with someone. You know, people were literally the, the family of the subject of your particular novel. Was that, did you find that a little bit inhibiting or was it basically a positive? How did that sort of fit in oh, the rest? That came after it was published. Right. Yeah. So there's no sense so, yeah. of like getting license or like, is it okay if... None of that. That came after, yeah. Right. So the the sort of the rule is, is if they're if they're a public figure, that they're up for grabs, you know, in terms of historical fiction kind of treatment. But as you say, it is, you know, there is a difficulty in terms of that. There is someone who I've been thinking about and hoping writing about here for many years, but her grand her great granddaughters are very active in terms of maintaining her legacy or whatever, and have not given her life the historical fiction treatment 
as of yet. So I'm hopeful that my efforts might convince them in some way that I'm worthy <laughs> to take her on um, in terms of that. But I don't know. Um, we'll see. The, the, the thing to do really, Theodora, is to just pick someone who doesn't have descendants yes. and, and to go from there. It is, um, a, it is so, an approach. <laughs> yeah. You know, during the course of, the, of researching and reading that, I knew that she at least had her granddaughter Audrey because I had traced her to that and then Audrey I couldn't find out anything else when you have a line of descent with females of course it's difficult because their names change and it's harder to track down people so I was very delighted to come um, across uh, Louise and to speak with her at length and hopefully get to fit, meet her um, hopefully later this year but a lot of historical fiction authors I'm not gonna lie do have that in, in mind when they think of somebody they want to write about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I imagine you have to. It's it's um, It must be such an interesting thing, especially if you're writing about the 20th century, that you do have those connections mm-hmm. that are available, as good and as negative as that can be uh, on both sides. So Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. You, you've mm-hmm. spoken about your scholarly work, and you also mentioned, of course, your awareness that you hope that this you know, writing these books and writing about these women will prompt some some scholarly work of, of other people as well. Can you tell us a little bit about your side of that and how that has influenced you as a historical fiction author and a historical romance author? Well, I, all of the my approach to writing historically came about from my recognition of what was going on with my teaching in the classroom as a literature professor where I would have to provide the historical backdrop to any piece of literature that I happen to teach in order for the students to be able to connect with it. And not to say it was an arduous part of teaching. I mean, I enjoyed it because I, I enjoyed talking about history that my students might not have known about. But I really, really felt that them not knowing it was, was the thing that was kind of a little alarming to me. And also knowing at the same time that um, reading has gone into decline, you know, as I like to say, would it be great if I could somehow produce something that these students could read that could help them learn more about history or desire to go find out more about history? And then, you know, that that would be all good. It would increase uh, people's historical knowledge, it would increase their um, reading skills and their maybe their pleasure with reading. And so then it's almost as if a lightning bolt struck me to say, oh, this is what I've been working up to all of those years for Halloween when I was being Pilgrim and Betsy Ross and Laura Ingalls Wilder one year where I had my sunbonnet perched upon my afro. Um, you know, all of those things I've been working up to all of those years. <laughs> this is what I was supposed to do. <laughs> So, yeah, it it worked out um, in terms of me thinking about it in that way. And like I say, and hopefully I I really kind of see my writing these these books and talking about these figures or whatever as an extension of what goes on in my classroom, which some students would call at some point, they would call it historical tea. 
I was like, yeah, good. Yeah, college historical <laughs> tea. Yeah, yeah. You know, someone was like, <laughs> so it would be posted, oh, Dr. Hughley's going to be teaching 19th century United States literature and then encounter past students of mine. And I was like, oh, that's boring. I'm like, are you kidding me? So then I would have to drop them a juicy little tidbit. And they'd be like, oh, okay, well, I'll sign up for that. Yay. I like <laughs> so, it. You, have, you do what you have to do. But yeah, for, on both fronts, both with history and with reading, we're in a bit of a crisis right now. And I know from my lurking and other social media groups, you know, where people want to whine about uh, accuracy and all this other kind of stuff. Yeah, but we're in a crisis, uh, I say. And these kind of works, these kind of um, adaptations of things or whatever, I call it, it gets butts and seats in historical classrooms and let them go there and find out about, say, for reasons like Chevalier, for instance. I don't know if it was released over there yet in terms of um, Marie Antoinette Chevalier, St. George, the Black man who was the composer at court uh, for whom Napoleon went and just erased him from the public <laughs> so that even in a house with a trained opera singer, that's my father growing up, that I only came to learn about Chevalier St. George within the past five years is criminal. The fact that there's a movie now and probably will be books now, etc., it brings awareness. And, you know, that's what we need at this point. Is more awareness. So I um, have known you for a while. And uh, one of the reasons is that we met through both writing uh, historical romance. And of course, you know, we've now both written historical romance and then a sort of broader historical fiction, as you said, histor biographical historical fiction in your case. You mentioned a little bit earlier about romance giving you the chance to sort of have a bit of a training ground and a practice. What is it that you got out of writing? those first books, those first series, and how has that helped with writing the books that you're writing now? Well, um, just sort of providing that historical backdrop in a way of navigating or even thinking about some of the difficulties of writing a history that, you know, might be uncomfortable for some people to face, to talk about in terms of that. I think writing both series gave me that latitude to talk about particular limitations that Black characters could come across in terms of writing historical fiction. The biggest one I think people come across with when they read by her own design with Anne Lowe was when she goes to school. But it's when she goes to school in New York, I think, that blows everybody away that the most terrible attempt at her limitation happens in New York City. Sort of, you know, people were not looking for that necessarily for a character who was born in the southern United States or whatever. But it's when she goes to New York for the first time that there's an attempt to prevent her from her study. And so, yeah, giving me that kind of practice, I think, in terms of talking about those things, but that are necessary things to talk about. I know that right now in this country, there's a movement afoot to try to prevent talking about these things. And as you're mentioning, because of writing about these particular incidents, I've been in the trenches for a while. I saw all of that coming years ago. 
in terms of that when one of my books was challenged in terms of the whole historically accurate thing that happened that there could not possibly say have been a black college graduate prior to our country's civil war, but though that's not true. Uh, that is a matter of historical record that there were there were not gallons of them, but more than you know fifty of them. And so, you know, I, I don't just know what would that have done for centuries of people who might have wanted to pursue studying the uh, classical arts, particularly in terms of composing or violin playing or whatever, more uh, in terms of seeing someone's uh, prior example like that had it not been so uh, thoroughly scrubbed, if you will, from history. That's why it matters. Yeah, it's quite interesting to think in your own life, like, why do I do what I do now? Is it because I've sort of either consciously or subconsciously been influenced by seeing, you know, people who've impressed you or inspired you? And if it's not, you know, of your particular, you know, sort of people like you, let's say that you're, you're seeing, then how, again, it's a sort of self-limitation or just your perception of what is possible is denied you in that sense. I mean, you 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 position yourself very clearly on your website at historical fiction featuring African American characters, but your readership, I'm sure, is 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 much broader and diverse in in that sense. Do you get a lot of diversity, let's say, in responses to your fiction, depending on you know who's reading it? Oh my goodness, yes, and particularly with this latest book, and that's what has been really great with by her own design that in spite of our ongoing situations with the way history is seen in this country and being shaped in this country, a book club from, I can't remember how they described themselves to me, that they were 100 miles east of Omaha and 75 miles west of this other major city. <laughs> but that they Does were Does that mean the middle of nowhere? The <laughs> middle of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> but that they were doing by her own design for their book club as a consequence of having run across it in Costco. I mean, to me, that's what is, it's, that's, yeah, that's checked off of the list. That's one of the things that I was really going for in terms of bringing this particular woman's story to light. Yes, that that's awesome. So yeah, I say the, the more the merrier, and that's been a great part of it for me. It's like I'd like to say, even when like people are on Jeopardy and they do the, you know, they see the Black America category and they avoid it, but then they run the category. Black America history is still American history. It's all the same thing. You know, you know it. It's just you don't know you know it. But in this case, yeah, it's what you don't know to make that more complete historical record. Mm -hmm. Well, it by her own design is an excellent book, and I can't recommend it highly enough. And I'm very excited to see what you come up with next. And this next book you've told us a little bit about. Thank you so much for doing this. And thank you so much for, for coming on and speaking to us. Um, if people want to find you online, they want to find your books, what should they be looking for? Anywhere you want to direct them? Uh, PiperEuclid.com, which is my website in terms of social media. I'm still on Twitter at Piper Hugley, which is my name. Facebook, which is Piper G Hugley, and Instagram, which is Piper underscore Hugley. So 
Yeah. Wonderful. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Piper. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. And uh, yeah, good luck with the next book, American Daughters. When's it out? Is it 2024, I think? Is that correct? Sometime in 2024. We're not yeah. sure what season, but sometime. Wonderful. Right. Well, we wish you best of luck with that. Thank you so much. Thank you. I always love chatting with Piper because I think she's just got so many insightful, interesting things to say. And uh, I can't wait to talk a little bit more about that interview that we just had. Yes, me too. I think, you know, there's so much to dive into. I'm trying to pick a pick a, an entry point. But um, before we do, I just want to remind you all that you should go to thehistoryquill.com slash four where you can access a range of resources relating to this episode. You can also join our email list to receive new podcast episodes and more content for historical fiction writers. And you can find the link in the description or enter it into the browser. That's right. You'll find all the tools you need there. Plus, you'll be able to put the things that you just heard in that interview into action. So speaking of things that we just heard in that interview, um, where do you want to start? There's a lot, as we said, a lot to get into. Yeah, I thought the thing that's sort of snagging in my mind is what she said a little later on in the interview, which was about just basically holding people's attention and that we're in in this kind of period of history, let's call it, where there's so many distractions, aren't there? And and as a historical long-form novelist, you know, you're demanding quite a lot of someone to 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 stay with you for the, for however many, three, four hundred pages. And and I think that in itself is is quite a challenge to to be pushing back against compared to say you know a hundred years ago where all anyone had was interesting literature. <laughs> I mean that's that's to simplify, but do you know what I mean? Like, do you do you feel that rub at all in terms of your own approach to writing? I think so. I think there's definitely that balance, and I, she addressed it um, when when she was talking to us. You know that balance between the historical accuracy and all the things that we really focus on getting right and also telling a really good story that people are interested in and bringing people along. I, I liked her story about sort of needing to tempt her, her undergraduate students into an you know European literature class by dropping a tidbit in and you know she called it historical tea so all the gossip and all of the you know all of the exciting interesting things that that can come up. I really liked what she had to say about that and I also really liked the responsibility that she seems to have for bringing things into more awareness in terms of the historical record, you know, in in, in particular with the stories that she's telling about black women in the United States. There's a real sense of if these stories don't get told, people won't know that they're interested and they won't connect with things and the scholarly work won't be done. And there is a real sense of responsibility there. And I think that goes so much further than I can ever articulate when I'm talking about why I write about what I write. You know, I often say these are stories of of women that don't get told, but she has a real sense of purpose and a real sense of of the why behind why she writes historical fiction. I think it's it's really inspiring. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And it was interesting, right from the beginning, she seemed to have this kind of long-term strategy. I mean, we didn't actually pin pin her down on it, but that was, kind of, I don't know whether you were picking that up as well. I was feeling like she kind of planned to write these uh, historical romance series in order to then sort of zero in on some of the more the more important targets to her, as it were, like the life of Anne Lowe and presumably others that are, that are coming down the line. And I thought that's 
quite, you know, we've talked to some amazing authors in this series, really, is in terms of their foresight, A, their passion and their sort of, yeah, their commitment to their strategy. Like Octavia was had a particular sort of mission statement in in mind, didn't she, when when we were talking last time with her and, and sounds similarly with with Piper. I another thing that I loved about was her, was actually seeing her response when she was talking about was it Chevalier St. George? And you could sort of see that flicker of emotion on her as to realize this man had been effectively erased from history. And and in order to kind of bring him back and the influence that that could have, not only on Black women, Black people, but also I think that sense of telling stories about outside of the mainstream narrative is what familiarizes us with other people who are different to us, right? And so whether you're of that particular group and 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 it means something more to you to, to finally see some representation or you're, you know, of a different group who just, you know, that human connection of story is just going to kind of bring us all together, one would hope, rather than divide us all up again. Um, so I thought that was quite inspiring, actually. I, I love the... Um there's a proper quote or study, I'm sure, that gets that could sum this up better than I can. But I love the idea that, you know, fiction readers are inherently empathetic because you have to be in somebody else's head. You have to be going along with with a character's journey throughout a book. And then you you finish that book and then you do it all over again with different people, different time periods, experiences that are different than your own. And I, I think there's something really wonderful about that in looking at historical fiction in particular, because, you know, my experience as a woman living in 2023 is completely different than anything that I write about. And it's completely different than, than quite frankly, a lot of the books that I read about as well. And so I, I, um, I like that reminder of, of how historical fiction can really bring that empathy out in, in readers and, and make people realize that the world is just a lot bigger than what they're familiar with. Yeah, it's such an opportunity, isn't it? And I, I, I always feel a bit sensitive when I'm trying to write female characters. <laughs> like, of course, you have to because your your world has men and women, and you do the same with men in in your books. It's like, what is it really like to be a woman? I, I, I can sort of imagine, and maybe one gets somewhat closer to the mark or, or further away. In a sense, your readers would be the judge of that. But it is a it is a responsibility, isn't it? And when she was describing the detail of the resources that were available on the life of Anne Lowe and then the connection with that family. I suddenly thought, oh, wow, gosh, what if I had to do that for, for my own characters? I was like, and actually what I intend to do with the, the next novel I'm going to try and write is, is seriously fictionalize a real character almost, you know, it's almost to the point of, you know, this is, this is not even purporting to be what he actually did. It's just a kind of literary device to play around with. Um, but think, making me think he probably has some descendants who might take issue with how one represents him or other characters in this story. I don't know. I think it's an interesting additional challenge writing about people who have not only descendants, but very active descendants. And it, it's interesting to me that uh, Anne Lowe's great I think it was great granddaughter reached out to her after uh, to Piper after the book came out. Um, so af long after the research project portion of the book was done, I do find that a little intimidating. I'm not going to lie, and I have a lot of admiration for people who do write biographical historical fiction because it's always a risk. But then at the same time, you know, you're telling these stories that aren't necessarily 
common knowledge. And so, you know, highlighting Anne Lowe's work, highlighting, you know, whoever, you know, there's so many authors who are, who are pulling on historical figures across, across the whole publishing world. You know, I, I think there's something really admirable about that as well. I will admit I've been too scared to do it so far. So maybe one day. Yeah, fortunately, my my period is is way, way, way in the deep dark past. So so far, anyway. Well, can I can I ask you a, a a very very unplanned question? You mentioned that she has this big strategy, um, and uh, you know that she she mentioned that writing biographical historical fiction is sort of phase two. Have you got a strategy of of sorts sort of underpinning your career? Because I I'm not sure that I could point directly to being that intentional with my career i have had thoughts to strategy <laughs> the challenges that i've met with is that even those strands of i mean i thought i could do because mostly i'm doing dark age historical epics i thought i could have like an adult continue that in that vein doing adult fiction at the same time as doing a sort of fantasy viking fantasy version of that with kids children's books oh, cool and the idea of like writing a children's fantasy adventure plus an adult uh, historical fiction a year but so far it hasn't worked with it i've written a children's fantasy book but haven't got a publisher with that so that's sort of on ice in a drawer and and then the the series that i'm working on right now in terms of my current period of historical fiction is sort of you know i'm getting the sense from the publisher that it might be running out of steam as a series um which is um in one sense is disappointing because you just want it everything to go your way and it all you know all the lines go up but at the same time i think the reality is a you know you're going to reach these narrow gates as it were that you've got to pass through in order to kind of keep earning your keep as as an author so i think and actually, these, this series has, has been inspiring to me because it's thrown it back on me and gone, well, how much do you want this? You know, if, if this strategy that seemed very obvious to you is not just there for the picking, you know, either work harder in order to make it possible or else, you know, you're going to have to adapt and, and, and really go for it in another direction at the same time or, 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 or with as much energy. So it didn't feel like before I even you know, started writing at all that I had a kind of massive game plan of like, this is what I want to tell the world um, in the same way that she did. But I think as once you're in it, you do start formulating like, I mean, you've done it a little bit with your historical mysteries, right? Another, and, and from romance to historical fiction. Yeah, I, I think some of it is, as you say, you know, it's, I don't know that I could have said to you when I first started writing that I knew exactly what the kinds of books I was going to write would be at different stages in my career. And, but I think you're right. You know, you reach these pivot points in your career and sometimes those pivot points are kind of thrust upon you. And sometimes you choose to, you know, pivot in your career and you have to think, you know, what is this, what is this going to do long-term? What do I really want? And I think that that helps you articulate what it is that is important and, and, and put a strategy together around that. So I think you're absolutely right. And with regards to that, you know, the reason I'm writing historical World War II mystery right now is because I want a different string to my bow, but I also want to be able to carry along readers who have read my historical World War II fiction books. And so, you know, kind of straddling two genres that have a lot of commonality between them helps with that. 
as as someone who listens to you and obviously has read read a couple of your books now it's i would say if someone said to me what's julia's thing i would say well she's making you know you're telling lesser known stories about women so it's sort of it, there is like a there is a sort of theme there and i suppose if for me i the thing i keep coming back to is this the opposition the conflict which i see as almost an eternal conflict between power on the one hand and love on the on the other and sort of wrapped up in love is like self sacrifice and you know basically it's kind of like the the self-serving power versus sacrificial love and like whether where which doesn't mean it's all about romance it's sort of slightly bigger renditions of that but i think those are the kind of if there's a if there's a message that seems to suffuse the stuff that i want to write it's it's more at that level rather than like oh i must tell this person's story or this group of people's story i think so maybe it's a bit more metaphysical well i think you know one of the great things about this series is there's just so much to learn from other authors and it's it's exciting to see uh everybody's different approaches and and how how it makes us think about what it is that we that we do as authors and hopefully the audience as well if you were one of our listeners what would be a, a one takeaway from that conversation Oh, there are so many. Um, I think one of the big ones for me would be the responsibility of being respectful and, you know, aware of somebody's story, but also the fact that you are a novelist and you are telling a good story and you're filling in those details where sometimes that historical record doesn't exist. And so you have to sort of take other experiences and and make a really educated guess as to what that person's life would have been and how that story might be built out from there. On my side, I would say it feels like that there's this kind of infinity of stories out there and just often for, for different reasons in the present, you know, my, many, many of them have been overlooked. And I think it's that in a way it's our responsibility to kind of dig down into everything is human experience. And, and in that sense, it's kind of readers and authors have that connection of empathy with basically someone else's experience of something that happened to them in the course of and, and making a story out of that. And, and so, you know, where are those overlooked spaces? And like, can you as the author go digging into those and find this kind of in, interesting, engaging, inspiring story? that then you can share with with people to hopefully, again, just form connections over time across different ethnicities or different sort of dividing lines between us and see if we can bridge those dividing lines through the power of story, I guess. Well, we want to say thank you again to Piper Hughley for prompting a really great discussion and, and sharing all of that with us. She's been a fantastic guest to have on. This concludes this episode of the History Quill podcast. If you enjoyed today's show and want to find out more about the topics we discussed, you can head over to thehistoryquill.com slash four to gain access to a range of resources related to this episode. You can also join our email list to receive new podcast episodes and more content for historical fiction writers. The link is in the description or you can enter it into your browser. And of course, wherever you're listening to this podcast, make sure you like, subscribe and leave us a comment or review. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. 